Welcome to Useless Pain, the officially unofficial podcast for House of Cards on Netflix. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And this week we're covering the premiere of Season 1, Episode 1. After you've caught up with our Season 1 podcast, join us on Valentine's Day weekend for a House of Cards marathon. Starting when Netflix releases Season 2 on February 14th, we'll cover each and every episode for all your post-binge-watch discussion needs. Be sure to subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds or listen at baldmove.com. So why do we like this show, Jim? Why do you like this show? Uh, I'm the kind of person who likes really... Uh, well-constructed plot lines, and I feel like politics is a great uh, kind of base for that to happen in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do it really well in this show. I guess I like it because I I follow politics pretty closely, um, and this is kind of like in my black heart how I suspect American politics is. Mm-hmm. But it's also a fantasy because everyone is ultra competent yet ultra ruthless sure. and almost apolitical. It's all about you know, helping people and their constituents, it's its its almost after the fact. It's, it's all about acquiring and power. using personal power. Yeah. Like, there's a scene in this episode that we'll, we'll probably get to where it's just someone has utter domination over another human being. Yeah, easily my favorite scene of the episode. It's, it's yeah. uh, Russo and Frank in a room. And it's not about money. It's entirely about influence the kind of things you can't buy the kind of things you have to spend literally years and decades of your life positioning and maneuvering to get that kind of at power and i think it's awesome it's like um well i'd almost say it's a bloodless game of thrones except for not so much i mean there's a dog sure. strangled to death in this episode <laughs> and that's only the beginning of the violence yeah no kidding both psychological and otherwise throughout the series uh yeah it's like a big chess game right right and it's fun to see those pieces maneuvered uh, and see it all play out um so one of the pieces that is being maneuvered here um uh, we start off the episode and frank gets uh word that he doesn't get the promotion to secretary of state oh i mean we gotta it's that's that's one of the challenges of this particular podcast is like how to approach it uh, especially if you're someone that's you know trying to catch up uh, or refresh themselves for the season two that's about to come out um we should probably say that that the reason we're doing season one is to kind of shake off the rust of podcasting and get us ready to do season two, because we're going to do that more or less lifestyle. Yeah, I wasn't about to cover this chronologically, because that would take hours. Right. Uh, I was just going to set up kind of one of the main plot points here. So Frank has denied that position. Uh, Michael Kern gets it, and now his revenge plot here is to get Michael Kern out of power, uh, as far as we know so far, right? I feel like that um, Frank overall plot so frank is the house the majority whip majority whip yeah. in the house of representatives mm-hmm. um and his job is basically to keep the party in line to pass bills so congress doesn't have to do nothing bullshit reputations they do <laughs> um but um his his aspiration since he backed the president who won election recently and we open at uh, New Year's Eve on, in 2013. So it's becoming 2014. Uh, I don't know the year. 
It's definitely 2013 at the beginning, but I couldn't okay. tell if it's if it was New Year's Eve or it's New Year's Day. So it, I don't think it really matters. It's probably yeah. if, if it's American politics, it'd be 2000. Well, no, it wouldn't. I don't. The election cycles is all fucked up. <laughs> it's an alternate reality U.S. politics, I guess. Sure. But he's back. This guy helped him get elected. Um, everyone knows he's helped him get elected, and he thinks his reward is going to be Secretary of State. But also, he makes this comment about the vice president, where he's like, poor son of a bitch, doesn't even know he's already finished. Yeah, at the very end of the episode. Which makes me think that his original plan was to somehow maneuver himself as, during the, the, the president's first year, uh, term in office into the vice a vice president role, either for the next election, the next term, or somehow through some scandal, this one. Yeah, it's interesting because you don't necessarily see that connection, like how he's going to be able to do that here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that's probably going to play out throughout the season. So it's like you can see him maneuvering for these kind of smaller pieces. And, and as he says in the episode, you know, how do you eat a whale one bite at a time? And he starts with this guy, Michael Kern, who got his job. Um, so he's going to get him ousted and kind of get people who are favorable to him uh, and willing to cooperate with him in those positions, I guess. Yeah, he makes really – I mean, that's what's really cool to see. It's almost like every step he takes, uh, t- it, it's it's like the perfect chess strategy where not only are you taking a piece away from your opponent, but you're also advancing your piece into a more favorable position. Yeah. So it's not enough to just remove the Secretary of State to scandal – Mm-hmm. Um, why would he do that? They would just replace one of their own handpicked guys that he has no connection to. It's important to him, if he's going to take down the Secretary of State, he wants somebody loyal to him that's going to be uh, you know, nominated in his place. So now he's done two things. He's removed a barrier for him, and also he's got a foothold, someone that owes him. Yeah, it's it's very elegant way he's approaching that. Which um, is another reason why I like the show, is that ultimately uh-huh. I like watching smart characters be smart and outsmart other smart characters yeah and kevin spacey is able to pull that off yeah uh, with ease apparently yeah <laughs> uh because i i really enjoy watching him uh, in this and and they set him up in the first scene we really know what kind of character he is and what kind of person he is uh you mentioned you know choking a dog um the stuff that he's saying at the beginning is kind of you know the namesake of our podcast the useless things there there are two types of pain pain that you uh, that causes you to grow and pain that's useless. And he does not abide useless things. Mm-hmm. There's no patience for it. Yeah, absolutely uh, none. What do you think of, because there's a lot of uh, people that have you know, said things for and against the way that the Kevin Spacey character uh, breaks the fourth wall by directly addressing yeah, the audience. I like it. I like it a lot. Do you ever feel like um, in this episode, what's, you know, because we're just going to constrain our thoughts to this episode, do you ever feel like it unnecessarily talk down to you oh no and and I, I felt like it was more getting us in on the joke like like kevin spacey understands that we know what's going on whereas the characters on the other side of the situation don't yeah and i also feel like that it's a little that the kevin character the, the kevin spacey's frank underwood is fairly smug uh-huh. and arrogant and that comes across in his narration, and maybe people feel like he's talking down to him. But that's just kind of the way... I just felt like it's almost like, um, you know, if you're out with a really good friend or your partner and your people watching and you're just kind of making snide comments to each other, it's like he has that relationship with the audience. Yeah, we're in on the joke with him. Yeah, so if, if you know, if 
uh, that I just never felt like I, I saw several Is that something critics. You've been reading. Yeah, I know that some people thought that there was a little bit unsufferable or they wish that that they thought that the writers used that as a crutch to like make sure that we were following along because the plot is, I mean, <laughs> the very first episode you're you, you join him in the midst of his grand scheme that then the rug gets completely pulled over out or out from underneath his feet. And he spends the first day or two just formulating another grand scheme. Which well, we're not. He spends the first day or two smoking cigarettes by a window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nonstop chain smoking, which I thought was hilarious. But but and we're not really privy to the new plan, and we weren't privy yeah. to the old plan. So we just, I mean, the show I think has a lot of faith in the audience that it's it expects you to keep up with all the different machinations. Sure, definitely. Um, there's there are a few more um, kind of main characters. Zoe, we should probably talk about. She's got a major part in this episode, uh, where she's kind of you know bottom rung at this at the Washington Herald, uh, and she's trying to really boost herself up quickly. You know, yeah. she wants to skip all the bullshit, get online, start you know bringing in tons of views, and they're very resistant to that. And she wants to do it through basically. The same kind of taxes that, that that TMZ and gossip rags, where they're just going and yeah. getting, you know, she doesn't care about sources and she doesn't care about fact checking. She just wants to know what the scuttlebutt is and report that in an online fashion, which is seen as less serious by the serious old school journalists that she works with. Yeah, and I can't tell if it's that they don't take online seriously or if they just don't like the style with which she's approaching it. Um, I feel like there might be a little bit of both in there, like especially her boss, Tom, I don't think understands the value of being online as much um, as he probably should. I just think he, they don't take it. I mean, print journalism is serious. Online journalism is more yeah, that's is faster, I mean. looser, less formal, yeah. Um, yeah, snarkier and all the things that the serious journalists kind of look down on. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that right. I mean, maybe Zoe is not doing herself any favors by kind of saying, hey, let's get this up online right now. Let's like forgo all the uh, the usual stuff that we do. Right. And But she also shows herself capable of doing both things. I mean, when she finally gets... Yeah. They just walk past each other at a fundraising event. Mm -hmm. And Frank happens to check out her ass. Uh, a, photo, a photographer from the Washington Herald uh, catches it and then sends her that in an email to kind of chide her and little, do a little slut-shaming mm -hmm. about, you know, no one's going to take you seriously. All you wear is a thong. And she uses that to parlay, you know, shows up at Frank's door with that picture saying, you know, we have mutual ma admiration society. And I felt like there was a little blackmail going on there, too. I don't think it was blackmail. I think she was offering the cookies like in a very blatant manner as a really? way to okay. basically hmm. and offering again. She did come in with a very low cut shirt. No, she was. So. She was. <laughs> I feel like she was offering her body on a platter. Yeah. Yeah. But she was also which I don't think interest Kevin Spacey. Uh, or I should stop calling him Kevin Spacey. <laughs> I don't think it answer, uh, interested uh, Francis slash Frank uh, as much as the power access. Sure. That apparently one of maybe one of the weaknesses of of his political career is he didn't have, um, you know, a, a relationship with a journalist where he could do like these kind of backdoor things that he proceeds to do in this episode and she's basically saying i will be your mouthpiece i will make sure no one ever finds out it's you said but you know mm -hmm. that's that's useful yeah and he sees the opportunity there in her eagerness to just do whatever he wants i mean he's she says like 
basically that I will put up whatever story you want. I will print whatever you need me to. Not and not ask any questions. Exactly. So it's like and a, so that's that's a win win for him, right? Right. Um, he can he can easily exploit her to kind of get policy changed and do the things that he needs to do in office. Uh, speaking of other uh, female characters in relationship with our, I guess, anti-hero here, Frank Underwood, let's talk about his wife, Claire, played by Robin Wright. Okay. She's been a lot of things. Uh, probably the most thing she's most famous for, arguably, is the Princess Bride, being Princess Buttercup. And I feel like she plays Claire Underwood as if she was a Princess Buttercup that when Wesley showed up, stabbed him uh, b- uh, between the shoulder blades because she'd already moved up in the world with Prince Humperdinck. I mean, she's like okay. ice-blooded, cares just as much for her power as her husband, does not tolerate any weakness or whining from him. Yeah, especially from him, I think. And you But know? yet is also the exactly the kind of supportive person that he would want like he says in one scene like i love her the way a shark loves blood (laughs) uh which means a lot of different things if you analyze that sure and we'll we'll you know the season will progress and we'll get more into that um and that that relationship i really like how that develops but and we all but we also see here that like you know she comes home uh she's secure in her own thing she's got this clean water initiative this big um, I'm not sure exactly what it is. It's some kind of charitable think tank that's trying to help, uh, you know, obviously poor people, but it seems like it's only been domestic and she's yeah. not wanting to branch into international, particularly uh, digging clean water wells for African countries, mm-hmm. which is causing some consternation on her staff because in the beginning, um, obviously uh, part of the machination was that she was going to benefit from Kevin Spacey being uh, secretary of state he was going to help her get funding um, to do this international effort because she's going to bring in six or seven new staff to help, you know, with that expertise. Yeah. When Kevin Spacey, uh, or sorry, Frank, when Frank doesn't get that money, suddenly she still, for whatever reason, for whatever am- ambitious political reason, she still wants to get into the international affairs, mm-hmm. but she's now going to cut from her domestic staff to do it. Well, she's trying to do both, right? She's still trying to raise the money, and Frank is definitely helping her, like – make connections and introductions but and it's things. not a sh- sure thing but, yeah she doesn't know if she'll be able to bring in that money because there was some tit for tat like the second that frank was going to be announced as secretary of state there was going to be a large um lobbyist group giving her money yeah that's kind of like you know obviously kev uh, influence Fra- your husband a little bit and <laughs> yeah frank scratches their back they scratch hers in return yeah because again he doesn't care about money uh no he cares about power money to him is fleeting and yeah. temporary but she needs it to get whatever her objective is. And I'm still, you know, it's been a year since I've seen this for the first time. So I, you know, in this rewatch, a lot of this has kind of hit me for the first time. Sure. Um, so we talked about Claire. What do you think about their relationship is as a husband and wife? Because the way, the reason I started with this is when Zoe shows up in the middle of the night, uh-huh. she comes in and sees as they're going and they kind of like Zoe and Claire test each other. And I felt like, even in this first episode, it wouldn't surprise Claire if if uh, Frank had sex with Zoe. Uh, Zoe clearly kind of signaled to her that that was something on the table. Um, but yet yeah. Claire doesn't see her as any kind of serious. Like it's not – she's not um, – what I'm trying to say. Um, 
she doesn't act like this bothers her or that she sees Zoe as a as a credible threat. Sure. Sure. I I, I don't want to talk too much about it right now. We'll definitely get there in later episodes. Okay. Um but for now I think it's better to kind of leave that on the table. Um the other guy who's kind of mixed up in this whole thing is Pete. Uh, yes. Peter. Pete, Pete I'm just gonna call Pete him Pete. Russo. Um and he's definitely a drunk. He's got a drinking problem, and we see that through the episode. He gets pulled over for DUI and arrested. And he's a um, junior House member in the House of Representatives, a Democrat just like Frank. Yeah. Uh, and and then there's this excellent scene where Frank, you know, he he offer, he invites him into his office. He offers him a drink at 1030 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then when he accepts it... Uh, Peter asks him if he's going to have a drink. He says, no, it's a little early for me. And then he brings up the topic of uh, his little misdeed the other night when he got arrested. Uh, and he basically owns the guy now. Yeah, because um, he found out I, whether it was that one arrest or there was several in his, that he's had uh-huh. repeatedly DUIs, been involved in narcotics, been involved in you know prostitution, and yeah. that he would have been rotting in jail and embarrassed had... Uh, Frank not pulled some strings with the... The police commissioner. Yeah, the Washington, D.C. police commissioner to get him released and just buried. Like, there were yeah. no charges brought, nothing, like, no formal arrest. He was just streeted. And we can see, because... So, so definitely Frank is one of those smart people. At least in the, in the beginning, Pete is not. Like, he's the type of guy <laughs> that just assumed, hey, uh-huh. I'm a representative, and I skated because of my own personal connections and power. Yeah. Uh, and that's when in, in his office where Kevin, or she's, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> Frank stands up and basically with his crotch right in his face. Yeah. And, and at that moment, you kind of wonder where that's going, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because he could go like, <laughs> like, I feel like Frank could have dropped his trousers and plopped out. Uh huh. Uh, little Fr- Francis, and Pete would have probably done whatever he could have done to sure. to make that happen. Yeah, so I don't know. It was a total power play, and it was just a brilliant way to approach it. Yeah, uh, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was it was as gangster in its way as anything that we see Heisenberg do on Breaking Bad or Nucky on Boardwalk Empire. It yeah. just complete domination of another human being. So, what do you think about? Kevin Spacey's southern accent and his character here. I like it. Okay, good, because I do too. I, I think fact, he's pulling it off. In fact, I thought maybe he's originally from the South. We looked it up. He's actually from Jersey. Yeah. So he's got a really, uh, I thought, a really credible draw. You know, I'm not a, I'm not an expert on on southern uh, accents by, by any means, but... Sure. Um, I, I kind of meant to bring this up... Um, when you talked about breaking the fourth wall, one other thing they do in this episode that's really cool is when he gets a text message, they'll pop it up on the screen. I got to say. Most of the shows that I've seen would shoot over the shoulder at the phone, uh-huh. but I thought that was a brilliant way to do it. More and more shows are starting to do, but this is the first one I can remember that treated text messaging as the vital form of communication it is nowadays. Absolutely. And yeah. does it in a very... Uh, natural seeming way by just you know it basically it's like we've got a heads up display of their phone's interface that was overlaid on the on the the television screen yeah it feels very aware of where technology is i mean and it goes right along with zoe wanting to you know kick into this future of online media Mm -hmm. it just it makes total sense in this show what do you think of uh uh, frank's uh, chief of staff doug stamper 
played by Michael Kelly. Uh, so I like that guy. I forget what I've seen him in, um, but I've certainly seen him in other things. Right. And I think he's a good actor. And uh, I mean, as far as like his character here, he's definitely there to facilitate whatever Kevin Spacey wants or whatever Frank wants. Uh, and I think he's very effective at doing that so far. He also has a really almost reptilian quality <laughs> to him. All right. Like, Call the man out then. That's fine. I'm just saying that he seems like the kind of guy that uh, you know does dirty deeds and does them dirt cheap. <laughs> and we see him you know, do a little bit of that in this episode where mm-hmm. um, you know, part one of, one of Frank's maneuverings is uh, – the president, after he snubs him, has the temerity to ask him to push through this educational reform bill, which, you know, pushing through anything through Congress is tough, but he wants it done in his first hundred days. Yeah. Um, and he wants the sponsor to be this ultra-liberal, you know, old-school tax and liberal uh, guy that is big on uh, education reform. And as a power play, when Frank shows up at this guy's office... Um, he grabs the bill and just throws it, the whole thing, into the shredder. Uh Sitting in his chair behind his desk. Which was interesting because, first of all, it's just a total power play because he's sitting in his chair behind his desk. He just takes this policy he's been working on and throws it in the shredder. (laughs) For years he's been developing these ideas. After he just pages through and sees, like, you can't do this. This is increasing (laughs) taxes. It's eliminating vouchers. The Republicans are going to spit their spines out when they see it, blah, blah, blah. But we find out that also one of his ulterior motives is to make sure that that did jam before it got shredded and mm-hmm. winds up in the trash so Doug can steal it for him and leak it to Zoe. Yeah. Which, you know, we'll see what, what, what happens with that in the next episode. But, I just, again, the way he did two things. He's that guy un- needs a new paper shredder, a better one, industrial <laughs> strength. I don't think they make one that can, <laughs> you know, churn uh, through 200 pages. Yeah. Um, another thing that I really liked about, um, this first episode is the way that they portrayed Frank's house. Uh, when you go to Frank's house, it's, it's partly a function of him just being a very, very busy, uh, involved guy. It's always dark in there Mm -hmm. because he's never home during the day. And it felt very much to me like with him smoking the cigarettes by the windows and the darkness of the lighting in there, that this is where he does all of his plotting and his planning, the dark shadows. Yeah. Uh, and then he goes in and he executes those in the office. Mm-hmm. And I, I really felt like there were two distinct lines between his home and his work life, um, kind of kind of mentally in that character. And there's, there's also an interesting dichotomy with him because he's very old school in some ways. You know, he's got this yeah. really classy... I get. I don't know if you call that a brownstone townhouse, and he's got like the silver cigarette box, and they look like they're hand rolled cigarettes. But he also in the basement gets down to Call of Duty. Yeah, right. Um, so you've got this, you know, kind of old school, classy versus, uh, you know, frat boy bro kind of thing going on. Sure. Um, what else we need to talk about as far as I want to talk about some of the opposition because we talked about basically team. Uh, we've team team Underwood mm-hmm. uh, with his tool, the, the various tools that he's got. Um, one we didn't mention is his driver and bodyguard, who's a U.S. Capitol policeman, Ed Meacham. Uh, we see that, and, and that's the other thing is like he's dispensing power throughout the episode. The episode shows him strangling a dog that got killed in a hit and run with his neighbors, who are probably 
Beltway insiders to have some kind of favor. And he has his bodyguard investigate that and cuff the, the, the teenage punk that did it by yeah. the end of the episode. Um, we see him use tickets to something he doesn't even give a shit about to curry favor to get his wife some money for her uh, clean water initiative through some wealthy benefactors that go to his church. Like, mm-hmm. every single thing he's doing has at least two purposes to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating. But let's talk about the opposition. So we got uh, President Garrett Walker. Well, let's talk about his final ally first, okay. which is Freddy. Uh, I think Freddy's <laughs> ribs are really important to keeping the the character of Frank in the correct headspace for this. Yeah. And and I'm only partially joking here. I think that does him a lot of good, having that, that uh, kind of sanctuary. Right. Plus, it's like he explains, you know, I'm from South Carolina where, every, you know, I grew up from... Uh, poor humble background and you know rack of ribs is like uh, a treat like something you only treat yourself to once or twice a year if you're lucky and he has this like whole literal hole in the wall i think there are holes in the wall (laughs) uh rib joints uh that he just eats in the uh, his table's in like over an oil drum with the crate on it that he sits in the alley yeah, he's eating, taking the trash out right next to his table. Yeah, eating multiple racks of of these ribs. They must they they look like fucking really delicious ribs. I'm sure they are. Um, in fact, I'm kind of hungry for ribs right now. <laughs> um, so okay, so yeah, you're right. That's that's his uh, one of his staunchest uh, gastrointestinal allies. Opposition uh, Garrett Walker, which we don't really know much about. He's the president. He doesn't really. Uh, you know, Dean to deal much with Frank, but his chief of staff, Linda Vasquez, um, obviously someone that Frank respects and one of the few people Mm -hmm. that I think he feels like he has to kind of tread lightly. Um, do you, am, am, am I getting that or? No, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, she's the chief of staff there, so she could, you know, restaff in a way that, you know, cuts Frank out if she wanted to, I imagine. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he definitely has respect for her because we know that he got her appointed in the first place. He pulled a lot of strings to make that happen, which is why he's so offended when he didn't get the position and she didn't follow through on her promise. I think one of the weaknesses of the show is that Frank is so much smarter than everyone, including Hmm. the, uh, the white house staff, do you think that that's something that will eventually change? Because part of it is, I think, I hope so. like like Frank doesn't give the people under him a whole lot of thought. He spends most of his machinations on his peers and his betters. Yeah. So if you're in White House staff, everyone is beneath you, and they just don't give a lot of thought to, you know, like they just cut Frank's dick off in the first five minutes of this episode by saying, yeah, yeah you're not going to get and, and they didn't really sugarcoat it and basically say, hey, are you still going to be useful for us or are we going to have to do something else? And he ends up kowtowing and does this really elaborate charade with him and his wife where they almost say, not only are we happy to still serve the president, but we're almost relieved that we didn't get the bump up. Yeah. You know, like we couldn't handle that much stress and responsibility. Yeah. I mean, that's a faith saving measure, you know. Well, and plus they're just putting people to sleep. Like, oh, yeah, we don't absolutely. want you to think of us as rivals or threats. or Yeah, we're anything. not angry. We're not going to seek revenge or anything where in the background they really are. Yeah, far from it. Sure. Um, so but I so I'm wondering if we'll actually see her, um, you, you know, be, uh, engage in a little bare, bare knuckle brawling along with uh, uh, Frank. Uh, mm-hmm. Jim Matthews, which as the vice president, he totally seems like an idiot. 
<laughs> I mean, very. He, we've just, seen very, very little of him. I mean, I don't even know that he had any real lines to no, Frank. But the way he shot, yeah, and the way and the disdain that Frank has for him, right? And like uh, we, I said when we were watching the episode, they were at that uh, uh, inaugural ball, and they were at this table together. It's like it's the table of the dinosaurs uh-huh. because they're just out of touch and talking about stupid stuff. And this, the Michael Kern, who's the new Secretary of State. Uh, by the way, William Boone from uh, the excellent first season of Earth Final Conflict. Oh, my God. Um, over under jokes for uh, Skrill jokes. Uh, I'm going to set it three for this podcast. Um, they just, you know, he's talking about his ultimate Frisbee league. And mm-hmm. and he, you can hear him talk about how ruthless he is in that. And then we see Ke- uh, Frank just kind of like roll his eyes. Yeah. And although that's not really any more goofy than Call of Duty, <laughs> certainly no. I mean, if I don't think many people know that he plays games at home, or probably oh, anybody. Yeah, I was going to say probably no one. Yeah. Uh, anything else to talk about with the opposition? Yeah, we've. I think we handled uh, the opposition. The only thing I think we haven't talked about is the power structure at the Washington Herald, uh, oh, which yeah. I don't know. We need to get into a lot, except for. Uh, Zoe is like the up and coming, uh, you know, obviously up and coming reporter journalist, but, uh, Janine, um, is the current, uh, chief political correspondent and she's played by, um, Constant Zimmer and she's like this world weary, uh, already sick and tired of Zoe's bullshit, Uh but Zoe pulls this miracle, you know, uh, education reform bill out of her ass with all this analysis and stuff and spends the entire day and night prepping a story and, and uh, so that janine wouldn't get right and janine had already rebuffed her because she was trying to get you know trying to help her do her thing so she can get you know a leg up in the world and jean's like yeah i see what you're doing go fuck yourself by the end of the episode she's basically her assist made her uh zoe's assistant yeah pretty much so you wonder it's like at where... least on this one story so, so there's some possible like revenge and and uh, jockeying for position there amongst the journalists as well. I think that's yeah. They set up a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. This episode, and I'm I'm really curious to see how it plays out in the rest of the season. If you've enjoyed our show, please help us get our new House of Cards podcast launched in style by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. You can also support us by using our Amazon affiliate link when you shop online. Just go to amazon.ballmove.com and we'll get a tiny cut of Amazon's profits from whatever you buy on that session. Best of all, they cost you nothing. And be sure to tell your friends, family, and coworkers about Bald Move. Check out our website for all our other great television coverage for Game of Thrones, Mad Men, Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, and Downton Abbey, and all of our great pop culture casts like Personal Arrogance and The Because Show. Keep up with the latest on Twitter at BaldMove and on Facebook.com slash BaldMove. And don't forget to join us on Valentine's Day weekend starting Saturday, February 14th for our coverage of Season 2 of House of Cards. See you next time.
If you've enjoyed our show, please help us get our new House of Cards podcast launched in style by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. You can also support us by using our Amazon affiliate link when you shop online. Just go to amazon.ballmove.com and we'll get a tiny cut of Amazon's profits from whatever you buy on that session. Best of all, it costs you nothing. And be sure to tell your friends, family, and coworkers about Bald Move. Check out our website for all our other great television coverage for Game of Thrones, Mad Men, Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, and Downton Abbey, and all of our great pop culture casts like Personal Arrogance and The Because Show. Keep up with the latest on Twitter at Bald Move and on Facebook.com slash Bald Move. And don't forget to join us on Valentine's Day weekend starting Saturday, February 14th for our coverage of Season 2 of House of Cards. See you next time.